You're listening to The Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so we're going to talk about all things food and drink. And I'm joined by my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Hi there, Ollie. We've got a bit of a packed studio here. I can hardly get my drink of water in front of me. I know, loads it's always good when there's loads of product loads on the table. Of stuff here. And, and, and stuff I definitely haven't tasted, I know. No, and it looks pretty weird. It looks pretty weird. Our guests, we're not saying you're all pretty weird guests, by the way. Our guests are Trusha Patel of the Spice Sanctuary. Hi, Trusha. Hi. We're going to taste some of your stuff later. All lovely spices. I know you like spices, Ollie. And Craig Rose, who describes himself as Dr. Seaweed. Yeah. Do you do that socially? <laughs> or is it just professionally? <laughs> Not if I want any friends. No, no, I was going to say that. <laughs> that could be a bit odd. So um, I'm going to read you a little story um, first, though, Ollie. It was something I read um, in a newspaper, which, which brings me rather nicely to what pra- Craig's doing. Now, I didn't know this story, but apparently... Um, during the Second World War, there's a load of French um, soldiers um, moored on the Isle of Wight, little island as we know, yep. south of uh, south uh, of here. southern coast. Yeah, and um, they they were getting pretty sick of English food, uh, particularly you know bangers and mash and cabbage and stuff like that. And there was about three hundred of them, three hundred sailors, and they told this guy who was the um, the landlord of the local inn. That's their favourite pub. That they were, they were, they could no longer stomach British cuisine, saying that they couldn't fight unless they had garlic. This is true. Um, so Mr. Spidey couldn't find a single bulb on the island, so he contacted the special operations executive at RAF Tangmere in Sussex, and um, he said that they 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 wouldn't be able to fight unless they got garlic. I'm assuming this is true. Um, and the, the, these guys there, the, this, this special squadron, took the request seriously. And on October the 27th, 1942, Operation Achilles began. And uh, basically, um, a, a guy called John Bridger was told that he'd be flying two spies, including a couple of double agents, over to France in the centre of the country. And they had to return with, some, with two sacks of garlic bulbs. <laughs> this is true. I, I understand the need. Yeah, and um, so basically they, they brought all this cargo home and uh, the garlic found its way uh, to to the pub where Mr Spiddy was head of the local gardening club as well, which was pretty handy. Yep. And um, he, he started cultivating it and uh, the delighted sa- sailors were then able to reproduce their national dish- dishes and then because of that they took part in raids on the french coast and later on the d-day landings um, and despite the reputation as french cooking stable britain now consumes more garlic than the french and much of it as a consequence is produced on the isle of wight did you Very know good. that well i know what there a is a great story i didn't know the story i knew that a certain amount of garlic was produced in the isle of wight i think you know for me one of the things that you know, is interesting about garlic in particular, is there is such a variety in the quality of garlic. And if you buy, you know, you know, I buy big bulbs of the stuff either from farmers markets or from Natura, and they are just completely different beasts mm. to the kind of rubbish stuff you get for sort of 69p for three bulbs. And the flavours are totally different. And I've told you this before, but one of my major obsessions is confit garlic, mm. which is when you I've managed to train my children, who are only five and two, to enjoy the act of peeling garlic. And the other day we sat down and we literally peeled about 15 bulbs and then 
confide it, and they thought it was a great activity. Hmm. So, um, you know, don't I, worry about your children. I do. I do. <laughs> when I, they've I, been I bought do, up. So. But, 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 but seriously, uh, the, the, this garlic farm alone now has fifty acres and produces wow. one hundred and fifty tons of garlic a year. And there's even a festival of garlic on the island. So I think it's really interesting that 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 just because of that, that that now the Isle of Wight is the centre of garlic production. And they're also very good at tomatoes. Is the other thing mm. they're really good at. Isle of Wight tomatoes mm. is their other big. Um, produce that they they um, mm. it's interesting I mean it's funny a quirk of, of history changes what is grown in a place yeah you know it would never have been grown there otherwise no I never I don't think now that leads me rather nicely to Craig because Craig calls himself Dr Seaweed which means he doesn't get invited out to dinner much but um, you've got you you think that Scottish seaweed is great seaweed and obviously Japanese are very famous for producing seaweed for food um, but but you've wandered over to Scotland I have how did that happen so the doctor comes my background's marine biology um, I have a, a PhD and hence the, the, the doctor so it's a legit doctor it's oh, not sort of bought on yeah. respect, don't, don't show me any respect. rashes like or anything Fox like that or yeah. <laughs> not quite DJ um, but maybe after this you never know mm. um so I, I, I met some guys who, who were based up in the Outer Hebrides on the Isle of Lewis. They've got a seaweed factory that harvests the seaweed there, which was going predominantly into agricultural use, animal feeds, horticulture. Amazing product for that. And so we started working on food grade production for nutrition, for, for food, flavour boosting, all sorts of different attributes. And so we've been supplying B2B uh, business to business to manufacturers across a wide range of things. We've got a smoked seaweed mayonnaise in M&S, there's seaweed cheeses, there's crackers, soups, all sorts. And then earlier this year, we launched our own range of finished products under the name of Dr. Seaweed. And based on the premise that seaweed isn't weird, it's wonderful, we came up with the brand name of Weed and Wonderful. So we, the whole, from the B2B to now the consumer side, the whole idea is we're taking a sustainable Scottish resource and putting it in formats that are appealing, that are easy to use, whether you're a manufacturer or whether you're a consumer. So what's so good about seaweed uh, health-wise? So from a health point of view, there are, there's about 10,000 different species of seaweed, so it's a really broad term. But the one that we particularly focus on is a really good natural and vegan source of iodine. So the majority of women, particularly in the UK, have got diets insufficient in iodine. The only other natural sources are fish and dairy, and they're on the decline. And if, if you're vegan, that's difficult, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. If you're yeah. vegan, you won't get it. So really, seaweed's the only natural vegan source. So we measure, because we're the manufacturers, we measure every single batch for all the heavy metals, all the microbial, all the safe stuff, and we're measuring for iodine every batch, and we're doing a lot of research on that. So can you just, like, wander along the coast and, and just, like, shove some in your bag, or do you have to be... You, you can. Is there lots of varieties, and you have to know what There's you're doing, loads. a bit like mushrooms? Absolutely. It's, it's, no seaweed is in itself... Um, toxic or poisonous, but you need to know where you're getting it from. So because because if the waters are polluted, then the seaweed will be. So you can you're allowed to forage. You can go out and get it. Um, but even still, there are lots of foragers, and it's you know it's a big trend whether it's mushrooms or seaweed or anything else. But for most people, you wouldn't know what to do with it. I'm not ready for a sort of slab of seaweed on my plate. I'm not sure I am either. Exactly. So it's about, so we've put it into oils. So our, our infused oils, we've got three different infused oils. We've got pure seaweed one, a smoked seaweed infused oil, and an intense smoked culinary essence. And these are about taking the culinary 
benefits of seaweed, the umami effects of seaweed, and putting it in formats that are really easy to use. Everyone knows what to do with an oil. Shall we, shall we have a taste of that, actually? Yeah, definitely. So, so, so obviously I use oil a lot, I'm sure you do, but what's the very specific flavour of seaweed? Or is it or is there as many flavours as there are seaweeds? Pretty much. So umami is a term that I think is becoming more, I mean, you guys obviously know, but people are more and more aware of it. It's this sort of natural flavour boosting. So a lot of people aren't aware that MSG, monosodium glutamate, that does get a bad name, but it was originally derived from seaweeds. So in Asian cuisine, they've used seaweed a lot in broths and, and stews as that flavour boosting. So it, it's the same principle. So if you give that a shake... Oh, and is, so we're looking at these rather sort of tall and lovely um, bottles for the sort of smoked Scottish seaweed-infused rapeseed oil, rapeseed oil being very trendy. Um, is there, there is inside it some bits of seaweed. Is that mm. for visual effect? So the, the one, the pure seaweed oil, the actually... When you shake it up, the, the green flecks come out, and that is the seaweed, and it gives a really nice flavour, and it's lovely over salads. In the smoked one, the big bits you see, that's for visual effect. But that's the actual seaweed which is used. Uh, but the flavouring... that more of a shake now, But the flavouring of that, of, of the one that, that has the flecks in it, the, the, the oil is flavoured already. Yeah. The seaweed there is an additional element. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we it's interesting we, because we I think... got some bread, I can just think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I think is interesting, and I think we, one sees it more and more in... I think people understand this more and more from a cooking perspective, is the idea of drizzling something on a dish afterwards and how that then gives an additional level of a profile, whether that is happens to be, you know, in Italian cuisine, you know, kind of truffle oil, mm -hmm. or whether it's, you know, a sort of particular herb. But actually, I think the idea of finishing a dish is becoming a bit mm. more kind of understood... Absolutely. As a way of adding additional um, bit of flavour. Sue so is currently eating this. So you're having the bait, the... Um... I've, I've got a plate here and I've got both. Got both. You've got both, <laughs> just to confuse them. I'm going mm. to pour a bit more just so you get a bit of the green flecks mm. in there. Now, the thing that comes across to me is the colour of it is completely see-through, so it's slightly greeny. But often you know you've got olive oil and very, very, very yellow, or rapeseed oil is very, very yellow. Well, so I'm told... Oh, I like that. Smoky ones. Mm. Yeah, it's wonderful. You're often with the smoky ones. And it's funny you say about the finishing because the intense one we have, it's in a pipette dropper and it's thicker. And this is exactly for finishing. So it is akin to like a you like know, a truffle one. oil type application. I really like that. He's supposed to speak. I didn't, radio. Get, I didn't get enough of that. Hmm. That is really nice because I... That is very nice. I use occasionally, and I've sort of stopped using it, is um, some of those liquid smokes okay. that allows you to bring in, you know, smoky mm. flavours into dishes. I've often got a And I think they're quite... Force. Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, that's got a really nice smoke. These are all... The, the seaweed is smoked and the oil is smoked and it's naturally smoked over oak. So it's mm -hmm. not it's not a flavouring that's added. It's all naturally smoked. I think smoked. you can tell it's naturally smoked, actually. She said, pretending that she knew about food. <laughs> I think that's really subtle, the um, the rapeseed. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the pure seaweed one is is meant to be subtle. Oh, right because, right. It, you know, the, these as well, you know, we, we have grand plans, but these are introductory products as well. We that, want, you know, the... the whole concept of not being weird but wonderful is it's about introducing seaweed to make people accept it and understand that it's, it's an easy and lovely way to include in your diet. It's good, isn't it? Mm. What would you use that for? I think I'd be just be really happy with it on on some some really nice salady stuff. 
But I think you can actually... Like tomatoes. But it, also if you're, you're finishing off a soup or you're finishing off a dish where you want to kind of, you know, if you're in the sort of high-end cuisine thing, you'll have droplets of things where you'll get those flavours. I think actually bringing in that smoky flavour mm. into a broth, into the mm. sort of tops of stuff, I think would be, be delicious. Bit on there. Because, mm. I mean, even if, with the smoked, if, for example, if you're just cooking some scrambled eggs or something in the oil itself, it brings through it out. that sort of slightly sort of smoked salmon flavour. Uh, very mild, mm. but really nice. It really lifts. I like this Trisha, like you're a spice mm. expert. <laughs> I know I'm asking to speak with the mouthful, but it's really subtle. I do like the smokiness. Yeah, I actually really like the essence. Mm. Nice and strong. Yeah, I get a lot more flavour from that, and I could see so much potential in using that as finishing and, like I said, you know, on eggs or just a little bit. On eggs really like would be fab. Mm. And as well, because it's all vegan... It's giving a level of flavours that vegans may otherwise struggle to get. You know, that umaminess is something mm. that is often associated with meats and fish. Um, so, so it's a great flavour to add to vegetables, whether it's barbecued, grilled, anything else. Um, a great and, and a great nutritional value as well. So you've got all your your a broad range of minerals, vitamins, amino acids, um, so, and 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 quite importantly, it's a, a sustainable resource, environmentally sustainable resource. So as I say, we focus on one particular species because, and the way it's harvested is is very unique. It, it's on it's harvested on special boats that are a bit like floating lawnmowers. So they're effectively just trimming the very top of the seaweed. So the seaweed might be, you know... So they're not dredging it, they're, they're just... No, not at all. It literally is like mowing the lawn. Doing a little bit of pruning. Absolutely. And then there's a lot of studies showing that as you sort of trim the seaweed, as you're stressing it, it encourages more Promotes growth. growth, mm-hmm. yeah. And then there's still, we won't go back to a site for at least two to four years. Um, but there's been a lot of studies done on the upper sustainable limit and there's plenty there. Mm. Yeah, we, I mean, we're hardly Japan on our consumption of seaweed, are we? No, and you know, and we've got a fair coastline we'll in this country. Absolutely, and the west coast of Scotland's ideal because it's sea lochs are perfect; cause they're very yeah. sheltered, and there's thousands of miles of it. Mm. So it's interesting because it's it, it's not, you know, it's just not in the British cuisine at the moment. You know, seaweed. We're not cooking with it at all, and I think even you know the sort of Japanese dried seaweed that you'll buy in supermarkets is only bought by about two percent of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are these are very very niche categories, but it's interesting. You know, I suppose in some ways, you know, kale was not heard of. Absolutely. You know, ten years ago, there were lots of you know other vegetables that again have, have emerged. It'd be interesting to see if this does. But do you think this will be used um, by people who are familiar with Japanese food and therefore seaweed for them is not a big leap, or do you think that seaweed will end up being like kale or something as a, as as a thing that's inverted commas, not Japanese. I mean, I know it's not, but you know what I mean, people's perception. Yeah, look, we, we, we take lots of different ingredients in, in the UK and, you know, adopt them as our own. And, you know, they might originally be Italian, they might originally be Japanese, they might originally be from all over the world, and we will then make them our own. I think, obviously, the range of products we're looking at here is very much, I think, playing to, I'd call it a modern British style of cuisine, where actually you can play around with this kind of stuff. Mm. And I can imagine how, you know, you're, you, you could absolutely use it. And we very much play on the Scottish provenance because Scotland has a very good reputation for food and drink and quality and purity. Absolutely. So that's very important. And interesting, you mentioned something like kale because a recent survey showed that 88% of people knew that seaweed was good for them. They didn't necessarily know why, but they knew it was good for them. And the things that were holding them back from buying it was not really knowing what to do because the sort of Japanese stuff you buy, you really need to know what to do with it. Not seeing appealing product formats, 
So the, the idea is what we've launched, as well as our ingredients that we sell to manufacturers, it's all about ease of use and appealing, exciting brands. So, so would you decouple yourself from Japanese cuisine or or make sure you are associated with Japanese cuisine? Difficult on that. I, I mean, I think, you know, if we, as we know, we discussed before, Japanese cuisine is is still relatively niche in the UK. It's only cooked by about 4% of people and only 9% of foodies. So I think, ultimately, there's a broader... But if you go into any, not any, but most sandwich shops now, that they'll have, they'll have, even Tesco's, they'll have a, a little pretend, you know, sort of sushi, sushi thing, which are generally awful. But so, so there must be must be people eating it out or on the go, yes. as opposed so, to doing it at home. And that's much and quite bigger. Big. And that's much bigger. So mm. the consumption of sushi and and Jap- visiting of Japanese restaurants, I'll call it generally low end Japanese restaurants, is quite developed in the UK, and as you say, quite rightly. Sainsbury's, Tesco's, Waitrose, all of these people will have little snack boxes of Pretty sushi. Sushi. You know, I mean, it's not it's not proper sushi, but it's, no. you know, it's, it's... Are you targeting that market then, uh, um, Craig? I'd, I'd say we're, you know, we're, we're building on it. The, the more people know what seaweed is and see it as a positive thing, the better. So we're not, we don't want to take on a Japanese market because we're not a Japanese source, we're not a Japanese-focused brand. But the the public perception of seaweed, it's great that they know what sushi is, whether it's proper sushi or otherwise, you know, they know the seaweed in it. And in some ways, we sort of, even if people say, oh, seaweed, that's disgusting, why would I want to eat that? At least they know what it is, and then we're engaged. And they know it's edible. Absolutely, yeah. and then through the branding, through the messaging and the education yeah. we're doing and all the research we do on the nutrition as well, they're starting to understand more and more. So that, that's our job, is to, to educate and intrigue. So at the moment, you've got these um, lovely rapeseed oils. You've got some, um, are these sort of like, are they tablets, uh, capsules? Yeah, so these are pure seaweed capsules, so in a blister pack. So that they're there once to two a day. It's nothing but dried milled seaweed in there. So you get all the benefits. The iodine particularly, so... Which You're going to need that, yeah. So you'll you'll be feeling marvellous in about 10 minutes. Um... So, and there are health claims we can make on there around metabolism, thyroid health, cognitive function, development in children. So it's particularly focusing on women because of this issue we have, particularly in the UK, but generally across the West, it's a growing problem of a diet's insufficiency in iodine. Mm. I'm going to take those home then, Ollie. They're for women, not for you. Well, they're great for for everybody, aren't they? I feel much better already. (laughs) I feel much more gender balanced. It hasn't even hit your stomach yet. So you've got these capsules, you've obviously got the oils. Is there any other sort of products in the pipeline? Yeah, we're getting a lot of requests for different products, all about ease of use. So it might be, you know, powders for use in smoothies and sort of superfood and inverted commas powders. And there's a whole range. I mean, my struggle is staying focused. You know, we've got to get these yeah, out. We're, yeah. we're stocked in, in, you know, plant organic and whole foods and a range of other independents on Amazon, etc. But we've got to get more out there. And we do still have the B2B side of the business, which is much better established. And that's, we have three, we do a what we call, they're all called Pure Sea, is the brand, so it's Pure Sea Natural, which is the pure seaweed. And then a smoked version. Oh, let's have a look at these. These are like powders. drugs. Yeah, <laughs> well, wait till you see the middle one. Oh, um, my God, that looks a bit suspicious. So Ooh, I can smell, smell that. Pure Sea product, yeah. Fine powder. So this is fine powder. What would you use this for? So the the it natural looks like one very very finely milled flour, just just slightly 
you know, greeny. Absolutely, and that's what's right. in the capsule. So we've we've got two markets. We've got our nutraceutical nutrition market where it's going into supplements, green blends, etc. And then we've got the, the food market, which, for example, the smoked seaweed powders going on snack foods in meats and M&S mayonnaise, which is wonderful. It'd be really interesting. This what would be very this could be used for is sous vide, because one of the challenges around sous vide is that actually, unless you've got a, a chamber vac, you can't um, vacuum seal liquids. So putting powders and stuff like this in with mm, you know meats and stuff <gasps> actually. You put that with salmon. Yeah, you put that with salmon. You put, you put it with beef. I mean, you'd get. Mm. It, beef. it works because there you've got the smokiness and the umaminess of the seaweed works great with meats and fish so oh, that's a top tip that. there we go there we go powders Thank you but I bet that's why chefs are, are probably you know really interested in this stuff Absolutely. because you're trying to bring in interesting flavours and different stuff and Absolutely. And chefs are the best when you go into a big company when they've got a development chef it's the best person there because often people will smell a bag of just the seaweed and it they're smells of seaweed think, and they're yeah. like ugh but when you've got a chef the brain starts working mm. of how to use it so an analogy chefs often give is it's a bit like anchovies so you'll use anchovies as a base for a dish but you don't get that flavour through you just get the, the sort of flavour boosting I mean anchovies in lamb is amazing but you can't taste it you just get an amazing salt flavour mm. same it's thing here similar. really interesting, interesting. very interesting mm. I can see a few um, recipes going on uh, Great British Chef's site yeah well we've, we've done some stuff with seaweed but it's not I mean it's interesting you know obviously the recipes on our site come from Britain's Greatest Chefs and we don't see that many recipes naturally ap- appearing from chefs with seaweed, it's Absolutely. just not a kind of a mm. uh, a core a core a core thing. Um, so you know, it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting space that I don't think yet's been capitalised on. No, and I think with chefs, it's great in that it shows a trend. But like you say, it's it's a talented chef, and I'm not going to be able to copy that at home. So it's it's great to watch and it's great to eat. But it's now our products are about saying, you know, this chef's created an amazing dish. With our products, you can do something similar at home and you can use seaweed in the same way. So before we go to Trusha and talk about spices, which is not, which is not a million miles away from what you're doing, um, so, so do, you, do you just rock up somewhere in Scotland and do stuff? Or do you have to get permission? Or yeah, does somebody the, own... basically the Queen. Oh, is it the Queen? Yeah, the <laughs> Crown Estate. So so the queen she, owns she owns the all the seaweed. Yeah, the Queen owns the seaweed. She so owns swans and the seaweed. The Queen's own seaweed. That. Yeah, that'd yeah. be a good dish, actually. Yeah, swans, <laughs> Surely the Duchess of Cornwall should be doing their own branded, you know, seaweed. Absolutely. We'll, mm. we'll work on, do you know So them. you have to get permission um, to do that. Yeah, so the, the factory have a licence and that's, that. you know, it's all carefully monitored in terms of sustainability and quality, etc. Mm. Um, You've taken one of those capsules, how are you feeling now? Feeling fantastic. Fantastic, I thought you would. I, I feel energised. The wonder I, of seaweed. Yeah. Mm. I've got a little small green thing coming out of my arm. <laughs> Being like Developing a fish gills. Man. Yeah. Yes, yeah, your beard's exists. going green. Trusha, um, before we go into your spice sanctuary, what, what do you think? Is it something you've used at all, seaweed? I haven't. Um, I haven't personally used mm. it, but I think I, I'm a great, I'm a very avid cook, so it would be something that I would definitely try. Um, I have used nori. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've used nori, but that's uh, the only thing. And I put it into soups and smoothies and try and hide it for my three-year-old. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely something I would use, but I think you're right. I think it needs, you know... Huge amount of education yeah. behind it, doesn't Absolutely. it? Yeah. Um, and I think the health benefits is, is, is really going to help, isn't it? That's what you'd... Definitely, which obviously is a massive trend. I mean, you know, and I think, you know, the whole vegan thing is, again, I mean, it's still niche, it's still very niche, it's more niche than I think people understand. 
but people are looking to follow more of a plant-based diet yeah. and therefore clever ways in which to get big flavors into vegetables, mm -hmm. it's difficult from a cooking mm -hmm. perspective. So if yeah. you can find clever tricks, it's worth doing. So let's talk about spices. Yeah. Now, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there were wars over spices. I mean, literally wars. Um, the spice wars. Um, and pepper and oh, cardamom, all sorts of things were more expensive than gold. Um, and lots of the trade routes, you know, sort of establishing whose land it was, was, was fighting over these sorts of things because, you know, they had such a value. And certainly black pepper used to be used as a currency. It was just so valuable. Now, of course, weirdly, I mean, if somebody was from there, from like three or four hundred years ago, they would be stunned that spices now really are a commodity, I would They're say. A big commodity. Um, and I think your research shows that there's something like most people have around 40 spices in their in their <laughs> cupboard, probably from about 10 years ago. <laughs> well, f food, foodies certainly have at least 40 spices in their cupboard. And I think a lot of people, you know, look, if you go back into the 1980s, you know, people had dried herbs, you know, maybe dried garlic, and, and that was kind of it. I mean, if I'm thinking about my father's, you know, spice cabinet from the 1980s, it was probably those two, maybe dried rosemary and dried thyme. I mean, it was, you know, it was pretty traditional European spices. What's extraordinary now is that we've expanded the range. But I think the interesting issue for the spice industry is that it is seen as a commodity. So it's cardamom, it's, you know, it's a particular spice. So what, it's just something you can get anywhere and it has no value and it's not... Well, you I, need it, but it's not appreciated. But I don't think people appreciate that there are different grades of yeah. spices yeah. and that, that fundamentally, you know, when you buy a highly carefully managed and produced product it is fundamentally different from something that a retailer is selling at the lowest possible price um and the flavor profile will be different the that, that hasn't reached spices at all has it well i think it, it doesn't you know i mean we we do a lot of work with schwartz i mean they're they're you know they're the largest producers of spice probably in the world um and we'd work with bart's in the past i think both of those brands are trying to challenge that debate within 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 mass market retail i call it mm. um but I think there is still, you know, there's still a lack of understanding about the fact that, you know, you can't, you know, the stuff is different. Um, but I certainly think what, what is exciting about the UK spice scene is, is that people are buying a wider and wider range of spices. Things like Zartar that we didn't have two, three years, four, four, five years ago probably are now in most foodies kind of covers, they kind of understand Zartar and things. So I think there's kind of a growing understanding of the, mm. the sheer ranges that you can have. Um, and I think there's there's a fundamental human need to sort of, I don't know, experiment with flavours and whatever. And I think the, the problem with human beings is they'll eat something and it'll be the same and the same and the same, thinking, right, I want to make that different now. Mm. I want to eat the same thing. And therefore spices have always been used um, um, to you know, make food more exciting. I mean, always been used for that. And there's a, there's a sort of rubbish sort of, I don't know, um, myth really that, that spices were used to hide rotten meat. And that just, I mean, fundamentally isn't true. There's no evidence for that, really. Um, and spices just always been treasured, always been treasured. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting is, is that, you know, I mean, particularly when looking at Indian cuisine, you know, the, the sheer volume of spices <laughs> that's used. I mean, you know, this is one of the challenges, I think, was, you know, I have big, you know, I have you know, big boxes of, of spice at home, you know, for when we cook Indian food. And, you know, you have your kind of large cardamom sticks. And, you know, you do use a lot of this stuff. And I think that's that's part of the fun is, you know, you experiment, you try different things, and you, you experiment with different flavourings. So Trusha obviously loves spices, but <laughs> she studied law at the University of Manchester 
and then she became a solicitor and then she was an associate at Credit Suisse and then she went to Canada. So how on earth did you move from that <laughs> to suddenly thinking, I'll do spicy? I was actually working for a Canadian bank in London um, and I had the opportunity to go to Canada and continue sort of working for them for a little while there. But when I was there, I was so frustrated with the lack of quality and access to really good quality spices. I'm a big, you know, I've already mentioned I'm a big cook. So I thought, you know, I'm going to sort of see if there's go and do a niche own. here yeah. that, you know, a gap that needs to be filled. And <clears throat> I did a lot of research, you know, I traveled, I met farmers and eventually sort of sort out the whole supply chain, um, made sure that it was organic for purity. But also, as Ollie just mentioned, it's not just about organic. It's about the grades. It's about understanding the fundamental difference between how, what makes a, a spice exceptional versus just, you know, regular. Um, from harvesting methods to um, how they're dried, um, making sure they're not commercially, you know, the commercial machinery isn't used too much to heat them, preserving the volatile oils, all of those things that nobody really thinks about when they pick up you know, a jar of spice in Sainsbury's. So, so if, I could just, if I could just cut across that. So I've got here a, a little um, a s sort of pack, uh, which is an Indian spice blend. Yes. Um, and that's got all sorts of stuff. So it's got paprika, coriander, cumin, garlic, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Now, you, on the pack here, it says premium grade. Yes. So does that mean that, that, that there is different grades, literally, before you even pick stuff? Yeah. Be, uh, because why, why would that be? Just because it's in better soil or...? or? Um, it's also... so. Organic, obviously, is, is like the base level for, mm. in terms of the quality because there aren't any pesticides or ke um, chemicals used in the production. But there are certain areas um, in certain countries um, that produce really good grades. So, for example, the turmeric um, is, is a sweet classic... Item, yeah. Oh, you're looking at sweet. Yeah, so the turmeric is a really classic example. The one that we use in all of our blends is an alipay grade. So it's grown in a certain region in southern yeah. India and it has the highest concentration of curcumin, curcumin. in there, which is yeah. the gives it that really deep yellow golden health, hue. That's the health benefits. That has the health benefits, but it also lends itself to not making that turmeric so bitter because well, some people, you know, a lot of people now know, oh, I should have that in my diet, I should drink it more, I should eat it more, but they don't like it. You know, it tastes bitter, it, it doesn't have a very yep. appealing taste to it. But when you actually have a much better quality, it is a lot more palatable and you can taste the difference. And we actually got a two-star Great Taste Award for the Alipay Turmeric this year. Oh, oh is that, that the heat? I shouldn't have tasted that then. No, it's, smell it. <laughs> oh, God. Is that spicy? You, oh, oh yeah. awesome. But you see, but that's, that is the mm. difference. But if it We've wasn't... Water, it's interesting, water. it's interesting. You know, one of the things, um, talking about your... your um, the sort of the cutting process. I always remember um, when I was in Sri Lanka, I went to a um, a really lovely um, uh, tea plantation and they were growing lemongrass and they were sourcing the lemongrass for Noma and the lemongrass was picked only at certain times in the lunar cycle. Yeah. It was only the very, very tops of the, um, uh, of, of, the, of, the, of the stems that were used. And it is that thing which is if you take... It's the same with tea. If you pluck specific leaves rather than you yeah. know, cutting off you know, entire chunks of bushes, it's the same as the seaweed conversation yeah. we had a second ago, which is, you know, there are probably good ways of harvesting Absolutely. seaweed and bad ways of harvesting seaweed. You know, it's down to the conversation we had last week about 
artisanal and craft produce. If you take care in your production processes, you just get better quality products. So that's that's the premium grade. So so your search, you know, in your your sort of suite of products, make sure it's premium grade. Then you've got hand harvested. Why is that important? Just because they can pick the quality and leave the other stuff behind with a machine or just... Yeah, that's right. So it is going back to that same point about artisan versus commercialization. And, you know, some of the spices have to be hand harvested, like vanilla is is an example of that. But some of the, you know, when they're mass produced, they're obviously in order to meet demand, you know, shortcuts are taken. And so when we visited these farmers, we saw them, you know, they are... It's manual labour. The cardamom pods, for example, you know, they have to be picked at the right time and then they're sorted out, then they're dried. Like it's, it's all a very much manual process. So it is, you know, spices are not necessarily associated with artisan but they production. Should, sounds like but, they should be. But they should you, be. You've yeah, also got absolutely. non-irradiated and non-fumigated. Yes. Why, why have you put that on? So... I don't think it's so much of an issue in the EU, but definitely in North America, there's a big issue with spices that are imported into North America are typically um, irradiated um, because they seem to think that there's Make it a major risk somehow. of pathogens. Um, and it's just not necessary. And if you are buying organic, um, then in many ways that risk goes away anyway. But again, it's just there is no need to overprocess, you know, basic yep. ingredients um, that... If so you're buying it at a really good quality, they shouldn't need any right interference with. Yeah. And then you've got non-GMO and no additives. Yeah. So in essence, that's your standards that you set yourself for that's your products. Correct. So none of our blends contain any salt or sugar or citric acid or maltodextrin or anything else that, you know, um, some blends in there do. To make them last longer. Come, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't need it because of the premium quality, the fact that we all the blends and all the spices that we source and we actually buy in are bought in very recent harvest. Um, so again, that's, you know, optimising their, their freshness. And yeah, they just don't need it. The sumac is another example that we have. A lot of sumac on the market has salt in it to extend its life and mm. to, to for preservative, basically. Ours does not. And again, it won a great taste award. So that's just, you know, that's testament to the fact that you don't, need, you don't need half the things that you see. And sadly, you know, I think we're in an age where you do have to read the ingredients, even on things you that... You You know, you don't think you should. Like, you know, if you are buying milk, you shouldn't need to read ingredients on that. And people think, oh, I'll buy some cinnamon. Well, or I'll buy a, you know, seasoning blend where you do need to read the ingredients. Now, I remember for the Food Talk Awards, we had your smoothie golden milk, which reached the final because it was so nice. Is that what you've just poured us here? Yeah, I hope it's still warm. (laughs) So it's a beautiful colour, which turmeric always does give you, doesn't it? Lovely golden, golden colour. And what is this? This is is a spice blend you've given us, but you've mixed it with... I've mixed it with cashew milk um, and it's unsweetened cashew milk, so there's no sweetener in it. The blend is the Alipay turmeric. It's 62% um, of the turmeric in the blend with black pepper, um, so we know that the two need to be um, You have to have black pepper, otherwise together. your turmeric doesn't get absorbed yes, in your body. Correct. Is that, is yeah, that right? you're well up on that. Yes. <laughs> and then we've got cardamom and ginger and also some saffron. So the saffron just gives it a little bit 
of a subtle honey taste to it and also just colour. lifts that colour as yeah. well. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, that is not as hot as it should be because oh, we've been sorry. too busy chatting. We should so have that, straight that to takes one. me straight back to it. I mean, I lived in Bombay for a long time and so okay. that takes yeah. me straight, flavour-wise, just straight back to Bombay. So yeah. good for you. It is. It's really good for you. Yeah. Mm. It's, I've heard so many people... Are you, 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 wanna, you in the turmeric consumption group? I am. Are I you? Am actually, yeah. yeah. I thought we have that slightly yellow glow. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great anti-inflammatory. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you genuinely, do you genuinely have do. it regularly? I have turmeric every day. Do you? And how? So, um, exactly the same as this, actually. But I, I normally use either hazelnut or almond milk. And what, you have a shot of it in the morning? I have it, it's like a, I have it like a latte. And that's your morning drink to sort mm. of kickstart the day? Mm. But my, the one I've And the gin and tonic in the evening for sleeping, <laughs> we had from last week. I do all the good stuff in the morning and it all <laughs> yeah. goes pear-shaped by the evening. Um, but, but mine's got quite a lot of black pepper in it. It's, it's very spicy in terms of the black pepper and probably a bit more ginger. This, this is much smoother in a way. I think I might move on to this, though. I like it. Yeah, you should. Everyone's well, it's good. good. <laughs> if you're going to have a milky coffee in the morning, why not have it with a bit of turmeric in it? So you just add this to your coffee? Do you? Yeah, yeah. But but if you just use turmeric, which you just buy in the supermarket, it will not give you the health benefits because the curcumin will not be at the higher. No. Will not. And nobody tells you that. In there. Yeah, that's no. it, right? You don't know how long probably they've be been about sitting on the shelf. Five percent curcumin in there was this will be really a huge yeah. amount, won't they? Well, actually, five percent is really high. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, so I'm using that is, as a thing, but what I'm yeah, saying is, yeah, you, you'll get a minuscule right. amount of yeah, curcumin, which right. is actually the health. Yeah, that's the health thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, did you not know that? I, I have to say, I, a lot of that's people talk to me about the turmeric thing, and that's why I look about 75, <laughs> uh, is I haven't yet embraced the turmeric thing. Um, is that the, the taste ju- or just, just uh, generally? Just two small children, life, yeah. craziness. But, but you this, know. you just literally, the one I've got as well, you just put a teaspoon in, in some hot milk. That's yeah. just put hot and milk. a little goes a long way. So that little yeah, tube that you've got there, I think it's 35 grams, and it's going to give you about 20 to 30 servings. Yeah, so, so probably you don't really one a month. Lot. Yeah, you know, buy one of these a month. That's fine. Oh yeah, very good for you. I feel better already. I've had seaweed, turmeric. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm like <laughs> I'm like a new man. Glowing yeah. green onion. You know, yeah. seriously, I'm green and yellow. Yeah, yeah. And we've got another flag one. That is. We've got another one here which I was quite interested in, and this is called um, Sweet Delight. Now you've said this is a breakfast and baking spice mm. blend. What would you totally use this for? Um, so. Adding it into porridge first thing in the morning oh, into your so smoothie. You oh, yeah. The only things I hate. The only thing I don't eat. Cereal, um, fruit salad. You can put it into. You can obviously substitute it in for your baking recipes as well. The idea is that the cinnamon. So talking about grades again, it's a true cinnamon, which is oh, way smoother cinnamon. and sweeter. Mm-hmm than the regular cinnamon that you would get. And that gives a really natural sweetness. So this is a really good way of people who are conscious about reducing sugar intake or not using sweet, you know, sweeteners of any kind. This is a really easy way to actually lend flavour yeah. and sweetness to your morning routine. So, yeah, I add... Birch and muesli is what I... Yeah. Yeah. Cinnamon, yeah. lovely. Yogurt yeah. or, yeah, anything. Ice cream, I put it into like... One a of little bit of fennel going mm-hmm. in there. Very nice indeed. So, um, so you can get these in Planet Organic and um, Partridge in London, um, and other retailers. But if people go onto SpiceSanctuary.com, I presume they can order it online. Yeah, they can. Yeah, we're available on, online on several marketplaces as well. Yeah, but you don't just do this, do you? You do other products. Is that right? Have I got that right? 
No. Uh, I've got that right. So I th- I was thinking you do other sorts of stuff. It's just it's just these that go into smoothies. Oh, sorry. Blends. Yes. So we have sorry. Yeah. The, so the range is uh, twenty products. That's right. And so we have the baking, uh, breakfast and beverage range. Then we've got the international ones. So we've got the Indian. Uh, Moroccan, Thai, Jamaican, uh, Mexican, and then we have a smoked range, so it seems to be very on trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, smoked black pepper, um, smoked cumin, and uh, smoked paprika, and then some unusual ones. So we've got kefir lime leaves, asafoetida, um, sumac. Yeah, and so those Massive are the ones. Range. That, yeah, mm. it is. Yeah, it's yeah. twenty, and it's it's quite varied, so it should appeal to different people for different uses so i would say if you're just used to, to buying the, the you know spices in your supermarket it might, might be a good idea to perhaps order a few of these online and just um, play around with them we're good at playing yeah. around well, with totally. cooking aren't we in the uk totally yeah. and, and, and taste yeah. the difference and see for yourself see for yeah. yourself see for yourself yeah. so trisha patel thank you so much for joining thank us you. that's spicesanctuary.com dr seaweed craig <laughs> did you thank like you. any of these did oh, you? i think the gorgeous the sweet delight is that's genuinely lovely, doesn't it? sweet and delightful. All natural. And delightful. That's gorgeous. Well spotted. We can see why you're a doctor, obviously, Craig. <laughs> so. Isn't that what doctors do? They, they look at things and they tell you what they the are. Obvious. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for joining us, um, uh, Craig Rose. Um, and you can go on to seaweedandco.com and you'll be able to learn all sorts of stuff Absolutely. about the work the you're products. doing. And buy the products online, of course. of course. Online, of course. That's great. Um, and you feel wonderful now, do you? I, I, I'm actually floating. <laughs> I'm literally. I, 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 I need to wear some some heavy shoes in order to bring myself down at this point in time. I see, and um, you should have a yellow glow and a and a slightly Absolutely. seaweedy if, if beard. When you see me yeah, next yeah. week, and I'm just that, just that, just a bit more bouncy. Maybe it's been a week of turmeric and, and seaweed eating. There you go. No, no gin and tonics. No gin and tonics. Not 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 for this program today. Um, so you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, and we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Podbean, iTunes, podcast app, and now we're available on Spotify. Thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd at Great British Chefs, who next week is going to be transformed. Transformed. You won't even recognise me. Exactly. And um, if you want to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. Or if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to foodtalk.co.uk or the utterly brilliant Great British Chefs website. Have a good week. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>